Thanks for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. Our Sunday services are held at 1030 a.m. at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To stay up to date with what's going on at Joy Church, check out our website at www.joychurch.life. Amen, amen. All right, so now I get the privilege of uh, welcoming up my twin. Just get it, Paul. <laughs> just, just another fantastic brother in Christ. Uh, he, God has given him a word. He's going to give it to you. Uh, I pray that you open your spiritual ears and just let the word just soak into you. So, uh, Paul, come on up. Good morning. So I'm going to be going over Acts. That is my message today. Just trying to break it down a little simpler because that's just kind of how I read it. I, whenever I read, I kind of put it in like kind of our time, my kind of view of how I see it, kind of modern times. So that's that's what I'm going to be doing. I probably won't get through all of Acts because I don't have notes for all of Acts. It's like 20 something chapters. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all of us being here today and being obedient to you. And thank you, God, for your fellowship. I pray that you would bless us, bless this message in our ears, like you have blessed our worship, Father, and help us just be in your presence and your spirit dwell within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the book of Acts, I'll set the scene. So Jesus said, been crucified and resurrected and has been seen by hundreds of people, including the apostles who he ate with. So if there was any doubt that Christ was risen, it was gone. They all knew he was alive. They all knew he was real. They were eating with him. And before he ascended, he told his apostles in Matthew, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach the new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So that's that's the kind of encouragement that these guys are going out with. The Father said, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And Jesus says, teach the, the, new, teach the new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And of course, this isn't legalism, but making excuses for living ungodly and then leaning on grace, it just goes out the window. But thank God for repentance and grace. All right, so we'll start on the book of Acts. We're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked with them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus was appearing after his death. And I think why he wants to show himself after his death is because he's sending these guys out to be beaten and jailed and murdered. And he wanted to make sure that they knew that Christ that he was preaching was true and alive. So they needed some reassurance. And he tells them that about the coming Holy Spirit. So that's some excitement that they have. I mean, imagine if God told us that he was going to hit us with the Holy Spirit tomorrow. I probably wouldn't even sleep. That's just exciting. All right, verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So right here, I I see that Jesus is basically saying, it's more important for you to focus on the work that I have for you versus when I'm coming back. Not that that's not important, but there is a lot of brothers and sisters that still need to come into the kingdom. And I'm sure Jesus understands that we want to be free from burdens. We want to live in paradise, but the more brothers and sisters that we meet there, the better. I mean, we still have family that's not saved, friends that we know aren't saved. So that's that's what Jesus is saying is the bigger picture here. Verse 9. After saying this, he was taking, taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So here, Jesus does the ultimate mic drop. He just poof, vanishes and takes off. And that's the last time that they would see him until his second coming. And when he comes back, the Bible says he's going to come back the same way he came, coming on clouds. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but probably pretty cool. Verse 10. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken. Jesus has taken, been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead to chapter 2, but two things I want to know at the end of chapter 1. One in verse 14, it says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. And if, if you guys don't have a group of people who you pray with, you, you guys need to find one. It lifts so much burden from you, so much anxiety just, just goes when you have people praying with you and people, people praying for you. And there's so much power in prayer. And if you're nervous about asking people or don't know who to ask or how to go about it, just, just pray for it. And God, God will put you in that place. He does it all the time. He'll make it happen. And the second one is when the apostles 
need to decide who should take the place of Judas, they prayed for it. In verses, in verse 24, then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us, show us which of these men you have chosen. So we see this in example, and we see all these examples. They needed help, so they prayed for it. And they, they got what their prayers prayed. They got what they needed because they prayed for it. Okay, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthenians, he goes through this list, and they all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. So we have this awesome move of God. The Holy Spirit comes, fills everyone, fills that house, fills that room, and there's at least 15 different languages that they list. Everyone hears of God being praised in their own language. And then at the end, you have those who don't believe, and they mock them. They say, oh, they're just drunk. But whenever you have a move of God, especially if it's big like that, the enemy always tries to counter it whether it's something huge or just something small like trying to be trying to pray for a group of people to pray with <clears throat> the devil will put roadblocks in your way so why does this happen why does god allow roadblocks to be in our way well it's the same way that god let the philistines stay in israel to test them and to strengthen us so there are going to be roadblocks. It's just, that's just what it is. But one, it's humbling because it shows us how much we need God all the time. There's always going to be stuff in our way. And two, it strengthens us because it shows how much God brings us through. And each one is just a memory of how God keeps bringing us through to the next one. Even how, even if it seems big at the moment. That's why in James, he tells us, count it for joy when we face trials, because it strengthens us. Okay, so Peter comes, and he sets these guys straight. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Not anymore. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You guys seen these blood moons recently? Past few years? They look pretty cool. But that's just that's just the sign of the times. Prophecy, the moon turning red, visions, even the sun turning black, an eclipse. That is a move of God. And it's just a sign of the times. But even with all of that, even with dreams from God and visions and things that you can't explain unless it's spiritual, you will still have those who just try to explain it away as a natural phenomenon in the name of science or evolution. But those are the same people who believe that their great-great-grandfather was a rock. So, and we're the crazy ones. Verses 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross, and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. So Peter continues to give the speech. all these people around and he's basically saying you guys are the one that killed him it's your sins that is why he's dead and what he's trying to do through the Holy Spirit is make them realize that you guys need repentance you guys just killed the son of God He tells them, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven and at God's right hand. And then he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So 
this seems pretty simple. Repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. Now you could say, is this spiritually baptized or physically baptized? It doesn't matter. I just do them both, just to be safe. And I know we like to muddy this up. I mean, I can kind of see why. Maybe it's maybe it's embarrassing to ask to be baptized or the attention's on you. I don't know, but just get over it. And it doesn't count if you were baptized when you were a baby either, because that wasn't your choice. All right. Verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So that's simple enough. They heard it. They all got baptized. 43. 42. All the, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. What a blessing it is to live in peace around the around those who you love and sharing in meals and praying together and checking up on each other. It's that's that's such a blessing to have communion and fellowship with family and friends and those who you love and sharing in meals together, especially if someone else is cooking it. And they shared money with those in need. And Satan always tries to destroy the family. He tries to break it up. And what are some of the things he does to do this? He uses lies, anger, greed, hurt, jealousy. Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't struggle with a person, but the spirit that influences them. Now, of course, we use wisdoms in all our dealings. Wisdom in all our dealings. But the person is not the problem. It's the spirit behind it. (laughs) Chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put aside put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The man, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. So it starts off as a normal day. They go to the temple. They're going to do their their prayer and worship. And they come to a man who's handicapped in the legs. And he's strategically placed there by the gate, by his friends or family, probably both. And he's trying to get some money so he can survive. 
And it's funny that this gate is called the beautiful gate because that's symbolic of Jesus. He is the beautiful gate. And he is the only way into the kingdom. That's the only way into the temple. It's through the gate and Jesus is the only way into the kingdom. And the way they had the temple set up in the Old Testament, or even right here, after the gate is the brazen altar, and then the wash basin as you're walking in. So, when you come through Christ and you accept his sacrifice, and then you are washed. So, you get to the brazen altar, and then the wash basin. You accept his sacrifice for you and then you wash yourself and if you try to clean up before you enter you'll, you'll never get in because it doesn't work like that so this crippled man sees Peter and John coming and he asks them for money and Peter and John were probably looking at this poor guy and he says looking at he says look at us and the crippled man says it looked he looked at them eagerly and that shows, just shows how desperate he was. Because Peter and John probably look like him, and they're asking him for money. So Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And this guy's probably sitting there looking at him. He's like, Who are you talking to? My legs don't work. I can't get up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did this, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. So he didn't get he didn't get up right away. He needed help. And he probably didn't even believe that he was healed or would be healed. And you can't even really fully blame him. I mean, this guy's been crippled for years, begging for money. That's his hope is in just trying to eat. I'm sure he that wasn't even a hope of his. But he stood up anyways. He stood out in faith. And he didn't do it alone. And Jesus didn't walk alone either. And neither can we. We need to be around others. Brothers and sisters who look out for us. Who help us walk. Who help pick us up when we fall or we stumble. And to pray for us. Whether in blood or in Christ. And if it's both, you're blessed. He jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Hallelujah. He went from crippled to Forrest Gump. <laughs> Amen. I love that movie. Okay, verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So he's overflowed with joy, and everyone around him is just amazed, because they've just seen this guy every day with messed up feet laying there. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, 
What is so surprising about this, and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before this is the same same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus... Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. So let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Peter knew Christ, and he knew that Christ was the Messiah, the Savior. He knew that he was the only way to life, and Peter had setbacks in his life. Peter said he loved Jesus and then would later reject the fact that he even knew him. He would preach the truth and then give in to lies because of peer pressure. But Peter would repent of his sins. and He wept bitterly for denying Christ. And he wasn't too proud for criticism. So Peter didn't think of himself, himself as higher than these people. And he sees all these Israelites around him who are living lost, deceived. And all these people, they're his friends, they're his family, people that he grew up with. They're all Jews. And these people are close because when when you don't have any money, you're really close to your friends and your family. You guys all depend on each other. So that's who he's trying to win over, the people that he loves. Now that he has their attention, the first things he says is, don't give glory to us, but to God. He tells them, you killed the author of life. And why does Peter say this? Because these people claim to know God. They're Jews. They're his chosen people. And he just they just all witnessed a miracle. 
and they were all praising God. So, did they not know God? No, they didn't. They just killed him. And Jesus said it himself in Matthew 15, 8, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from me. This is what Peter sees. And in love, he tries to rip the veil off of their eyes. But here's the good news. It says, God was fulfilling what the prophets foretold. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped away. And then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, the appointed Messiah. This is literally the gospel, the good news, that Christ took our sins so that we could be saved. And we all know this, right? I mean, we don't profess Christ, but our heart's far from him. We know that we should live for him and honor him with our lives and how we act and how we speak and what we watch and what we listen to. What about what we think? And when we fall short, repent and turn to God. It is a daily thing. And Jesus said, speaking to a crowd in Luke, then he said to them all, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In every translation you read, when Jesus speaks, it says he was speaking to all of them. His apostles, those who were close to him, and those that weren't. Which just shows again how much we need him every day. Even if we feel like we are far from him, times of refreshment will come when we repent and trust in him. And in 21, he says that the prophets foretold this. And this is just confirmation that Jesus is the one who the prophets spoke about. In verse 26, it says, To bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Now that is a blessing. Not just to help us not sin, but to give us a new heart that doesn't even want to sin. That hates sin and loves to walk a walk that is pleasing to God. Pleasing to a Father who saves us. That is a blessing. He says, I'll just give you a new heart and you won't even desire to sin. And I think when we pray, we we often pray, God, help me not do this. Help me get better at not doing this. When we should be praying, God, please change my heart. Make me new. Make me have a mind like you, Father God. And then times of refreshment will come. Chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. Okay, so he just made these people mad.
these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. And Ananias the high priest was there along with Cyphus, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Alright, so they're arrested. And they're arrested for preaching in the name of Christ. But even so, something bad happened to them. There was thousands of people that believed in the message and got saved. And that's the point. Not even to hold yourself, but to give yourself for Christ. And they demand them. What do they demand them? Whose name have you done this in? And when people are in the dark, they don't realize how irrational they sound. They're arresting these guys and they're mad at them. And he just healed a man that was crippled for years. Just like before, when they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And some guys said, those guys are just drunk. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, Are we being questioned here today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures, where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Okay, so talk about boldness. Peter just don't care anymore. These guys are arrested. They could be beaten or killed. And he just says, like, you guys killed them. You guys are the guilty ones. So, he tells them, yeah, I did it through the power of Christ. And he's, he's not even caring of the fines or punishments. I mean... We're talking about a time where the punishment is like three goats and getting stoned. It, the price is high. And not only does he deny these charges, but he says, you are guilty. He could have even tried to ease his way out of it, but he was spirit-filled spirit and ready to roll. Verse 14. But 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back, and they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So once again, these Pharisees and leaders, they're being foolish. Because everybody's just seen the miracle, especially the guy getting healed, and they expect him not to talk about Jesus again. That's just not going to happen. And if you know the giver of life, you're going to be excited about it. You're going to tell others. There's no holding it in. Verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this happened there. This happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So they tell them not to talk about Jesus. The first thing Peter and John go back to do and start talking about Jesus. And they tell them what's going on. And the first thing they do is they start praying with their group of believers. That's why we always need to be praying together. And they know they're in danger. And they didn't pray for a way out, even though that's reasonable. But they asked for more, more boldness in proclaiming Jesus' name. And they asked for more healing and more miraculous signs and wonders to be done in Jesus' name. And why are they asking for more boldness, more preaching, more miracles? Because this is their family. They want to see them healed. They want to see their family and friends set free. They want more people in the kingdom to find the love of Jesus. That's why they're asking for more. And there's something about that shaking, that Holy Spirit shaking, thundering from heaven. 
verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money back to the apostles. So they all shared the same love for God. And they wanted to see the kingdom grow. And they knew that what they owned was not their own, but given from God, because he gives everything. And they were all united to testify about Jesus. And God's great blessing was on all of them. Except for Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira or Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money of the apostles to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. And we could see why. Okay, so it kind of sounds like these guys really didn't want to give their money away. But the thing is, they didn't have to. It wasn't a big deal that they didn't want to give. It was lying. Now, that sounds like a harsh punishment for sure. But that's an example for us of how God sees sin, big or small. I'm sure a lot of people repented for lying after that. Verse 12. The apostles were planning many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solon's Colonnade but no one else dared to join them. 
even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result the apostles of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. So the miracles keep coming, and the believers keep on praying. And it says that others held them in high regard, but didn't dare join them. So why didn't they join them? Well, probably because they were scared to drop dead like the other two. But I think the bigger picture is light exposes the darkness. And when you have those in the dark, they don't want nothing to do with the light. Because it's painful to expose yourself and to change your ways and to die to self and to crucify yourself on the cross. Nobody wants to feel convicted. But it's just for a moment. And yet many others were coming to God from all over the place. It says people were being carried on mats and beds from other villages in hopes of finding deliverance and freedom. So their families definitely wanted help for them as well. And they definitely had to believe that they would be healed. Because you don't carry someone on your back for miles on a hunch. And I'm sure some of their family members were like, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to leave you there. Verse 17. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they were convened, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple's guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Okay, so these guys who are supposed to be these religious superiors are all jealous of these poor apostles. They're seeing all the miracles done. They're seeing people flock to them for healing and deliverance. And they're getting angry at them for this for their preaching and for healing. Which means they're really angry at God because this is God's work. And instead of, if they are of God, like they proclaim, instead of taking their their anger and their their jealousy to God in prayer, asking, why am I jealous and what's wrong with me? Lord, fix me. They act on their anger and their jealousy and they throw the apostles in jail. Which doesn't do much Because that night, they're out again, doing the exact same thing. 
An angel came and opened the gates and told them to go to the temple and give the people the message of life. And the apostles did what they were told to do. When the officials came in, it was empty and they were perplexed. So, what they witnessed was supernatural. And claiming to know, they were claiming to know God, but denying his power. And the longer they chose to rebel against God and not to yield to him and his word, the worse it's going to get for them. And these guys are seeing firsthand miracles of God and still choosing to deny him. Twenty six. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teachings about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Okay, so here's the explanation of why they're doing this all, why they're so mad. It's fear. They just said it right there. You want to make us responsible. And fear is the cause of all unrighteous anger. Fear of being embarrassed. Fear of a past hurt repeating itself or not having control. Anger always stems from fear. And it's a good thing we have a good God in heaven who takes away our fear. And makes us courageous if we yield to him. 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Peter just don't care anymore. Again, he says, you are the guilty ones. You are responsible for killing the one God gave to the world. But the hope here is, God gave his son and raised him up so that we would repent. And the Holy Spirit is given by those, given to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the church, the council chamber, for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined them, but he was killed, and all the other fellow followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of consensus, there was Judas of Galilee. He got up to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. Okay, so thankfully this guy has some wisdom. 
He says, we won't kill him, but the others might. He says, if it's of God, it will grow, and we're going to be fighting against God. But if it's not, it'll fizzle itself out. Which is kind of true. I mean, if it is of God, they are fighting against God. But God will still allow false teaching to continue because he's merciful it's a test for us so when they heard this okay so my advice is leave these men alone Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus, and every day in the temple, and from house to house. They continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. So not the ideal situation. They were beaten and whipped, but they weren't killed. So that's good. But he kind of does this in fear also. Because he didn't want the people to riot. Because so many were believing in him. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and full of the holy and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish Jewish priests were converted too. Okay, so the believers were rapidly multiplying. And even so, the devil's trying to break them up. First, he's trying to break them up from the outside, throwing them in jail, whipping them. And that doesn't work. They just grew even more. So now he's trying to break them up from the inside. Because whenever you have a move of God, the enemy will try to counter. So how does he try to break them up from the inside? With rumblings of discontent, and division, and the Greeks said that their their widows weren't getting as much food as the Hebrews. And there could have been some favoritism, but there was also a language barrier there. 
But even so, the devil was using that as a way to split them up. And not only is division sown, but the apostles are pulled away from teaching and preaching and praying to to help feed others. I mean, can you imagine if you went to church and they only fed your flesh and not your spirit? But the apostles recognize this. And they say that they are it is not not that they are too good to help with food, but there is plenty of other hands that can help organize and probably have a gift for it. Verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witness said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face has become as bright as an angel's. And this is remind this reminds me of Psalm thirty-seven six. It says, "He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun." Because that's literally happening here. And with the lies, we see this all the time. If you can't beat them. Just lie about him. In chapter 7, Stephen gives this long address to the people, and he's pretty much going over the Old Testament. And I think he does this to be transparent because he's being called a liar and a blasphemer. They're calling him fake news. And he goes over the Old Testament and the prophets and he lays out the history and God's promises. And I think he does this so that everyone can see what am I saying that's a lie? I'm not saying anything that isn't written. That's not promised. And of course, no one's going to call him a liar now because they would just be condemning themselves. And this is what pushes them over the edge. In verse 51, he starts it off with, You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, 
and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they took their hands, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at a feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So, the actions of this mob, it just says what's really going on in the spirit. They hear the truth, they put their hands over the ear, and they get angry. And he, he tells them, right before this happens, you guys are stubborn and deaf to the truth, and proclaim, and you kill all the prophets that proclaim the truth, and they exactly do it again. And we can try to contemplate why bad things happen, why there's death, some things we just can't understand. And with Stephen, I think this is kind of an example. It kind of tells us, if, you, if you're going to go out and proclaim my name and Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, are you even willing to lay down your own life? How much do you believe in this? How much do you leave me? Do you love me that you wouldn't even withhold your own life from me? Which is what he asks of us. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. We've been very fortunate here to live here in the States. We don't have to worry about being dragged out of our house. But then the bad thing about being so fortunate to live here is fake love for Christ can thrive here. With people who say, Lord, Lord, but don't know him or live a life that is contrary to the life that he allows us to live. He's been very gracious to us. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. The crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. 
so there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from least to greatest often spoke of him as the Great One, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. So people want to hear the truth. There will always be a yearning for the truth. And everyone's coming to to hear, even a sorcerer. And he's seeing these powers and miracles being done. And even he knows with demonic power, it's nothing compared to the power of God. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. God can save anybody. Anyone that believes and follows Christ. And the sorcerer was amazed by what God was doing. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there as soon as they arrived. They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Alright, so we see just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you received the Holy Spirit. I don't think these guys are doing anything wrong. It's just whenever is God's timing. Okay, so, so I'm over 17. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so the whole book of Acts is about the apostles proclaiming Christ. And can I have uh, some guitar? I'm just going to do a prayer. What's up, dude? He's telling me it's time to go. So, we have the apostles and Paul coming in. He's probably the main character of Acts. Risking their lives and not caring what others think and speaking about Christ. And people are getting healed. People are being set free. Families are growing. So praise God for that. So if you haven't read all the books of Acts, all the book of Acts, I would hope that you would. So like the apostles, Father, we pray. Thank you, God, for giving us your spirit. Father God, I pray that you would proclaim, help us proclaim your name 
and make us bold. Father God, let us not be embarrassed. Let us not hold anything back. Let us expect miracles. Let us pray for healing. Father God, I pray that you would continue to bless us and our families and our friends. I pray that your kingdom would grow. I pray that we would dive deeper in your word, Father God. I pray for more of a move of God and that your spirit would shake this place up. Father God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your healing and all your blessings in our lives. Father God, I pray that we can give unselfishly like you have given. Father God, we thank you for your love. And I pray that you can keep calling us closer to you. May your spirit increase and increase even more in us, Father God. In your precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks again for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. We want to personally invite you to our Sunday services at 1030 a.m. held at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To find out more about the Joy Life, be sure to visit www.joychurch.life. See you Sunday.